In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The fallout of one of the city's main hospitals shutting down. This isn't down in Randolph County or up in Commerce, Georgia. This isn't happening in rural Georgia or suburban Georgia. This is happening in Atlanta. Welcome to the Political Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This is the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluesting, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. If you're just listening to us for the first time, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode of Politically Georgia. Patricia, I'm back on the road. I'm doing this the second time this week from my car. I just left House Speaker Nancy Pelosi right outside Big Bethel AME Church on Auburn Avenue for a press conference and a, an event surrounding the federal climate change and inflation bill. But at the same time, the big news in Atlanta politics and really to a degree in Georgia politics is another hospital closing its doors, this time right in the heart of the city of Atlanta. Yes. And Greg, I was on the road yesterday in Rome, and then I saw you in Cobb County for that double header event from Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock that we just heard from there. Um, And yeah, this hospital closure is just like an earthquake in the medical community here in Atlanta. It is going to have major implications on other hospitals here in Atlanta. That Atlantic Medical Center serves about 100 patients a day in its ER. It is typically full to capacity. It's not that it's not busy. It's that it's not breaking even. It's not even coming close to breaking even. A lot of that is because it has a low-income population as a large part of the people that it serves. And so that has been just financially uh, unfeasible, Wellstar has decided. The Democrats immediately said that had Republicans expanded Medicaid, this would never have happened. And that the other hospitals in Georgia, all in these very small rural communities, also would not have had to close their doors. Um, You know, that's up for some debate. Obviously, Wellstar said that that was uh, partially not the case, but it has really driven home Democrats' insistence and really made very visible and immediate the real crisis that is still going on in the medical community here in the state. You're exactly right. This is unwelcome news for Governor Kemp, to say the least, because he wants to be talking about inflation, the economy, and not about expanding Medicaid or other issues that that could energize Democrats. And this is something that we've been talking about in Georgia politics since 2012, right? Since since then-Governor Nathan Deal first shut the door on expanding Medicaid. Jason Carter in 2014 made expanding Medicaid the central part of his campaign against 
then governor deal. Stacey Abrams in 2018 centered her campaign on expanding Medicaid. And then at the start of this campaign, before the Dobbs decision, before a lot of the other issues came to the forefront, she started her campaign centering at a closed down hospital in Southwest Georgia. Back then, the beginning of her campaign, every single question you asked Stacey Abrams, she somehow tried to link it back to expanding Medicaid. That was how central the idea is. It's not like she's veered from it. She still talks about it all the time. Um, other issues also are getting a lot of attention f- on the campaign trail. But certainly, this is sort of in Stacey Abrams' wheelhouse, and she is making that case that Governor Kemp is to blame. Now, Governor Kemp's staff can point to a statement that we got from Wellstar Health System, which owned that hospital which said that even had Medicaid been expanded, they still would have likely closed down the hospital given all of its institutional problems, $100 million in losses over the last year. So all sorts of other issues that that hospital system is dealing with. But even Wellstar acknowledged it would have helped their financial bottom line. Yeah, well, of course it would have helped because then they would have had a larger population of paying patients instead of a very large population of patients who simply don't have the money and do not have the health insurance and don't have Medicaid to pay their bills. And that is a level one trauma center, one of just two here in the city of Atlanta. And you're talking about incredibly expensive procedures, incredibly expensive healthcare that's being delivered there. And without any backstop to pay those bills, those unpaid bills now are going to be transferred out and dispersed out among the other hospitals where those cases end up if those people go to the hospital at all. And so this is going to continue to be an issue, I think, not just for the 2022 election, but in Georgia politics going forward, this issue isn't going away. And it will absolutely come up in the next legislative session. It will absolutely come up in the next governor's race, Senate race, presidential campaign. There's just no way it can't because this is a huge kind of blooming, blossoming issue that has not been really fully addressed by the people in charge. Governor Kemp has proposed modest, very modest expansions to Medicaid, um, finding ways to sort of expand coverage without really buying into the entire Medicaid expansion program. But it's very clear it's not doing enough to keep hospitals open or um, in the future to keep people covered. There are kind of three camps within the Georgia GOP. There's one camp, and there's been one camp since 2012, that supports expanding Medicaid. And they're not really shy about it. It's not some secret camp. I mean, there are some prominent Republican leaders, including State Senator Chuck Hufstetler, who have always said they want to expand Medicaid. And Chuck works in the healthcare industry, so he knows it firsthand. There is a camp that unilaterally opposes it that says under no circumstances should Georgia ever expand Medicaid. And then there's that third camp that says there's a Georgia-based solution. There's a more limited expansion. That's what you just kind of highlighted, Patricia, which is where Governor Kemp is right now, which is there should be work requirements. There should be education requirements. In order to get Medicaid benefits, you got to work for it, is what he believes. And he just won that legal victory in court to allow his policy to go forward. That's why it's very unlikely that even if he should win, and not have to face another election, it's very unlikely to ever see him support a full-scale Medicaid expansion because he'll want time for his own plan to kick in. This is how it's playing on the campaign trail where Stacey Abrams, you know, a longtime advocate for expanding Medicaid, is trumpeting Senator Raphael Warnock's stance, also supporting the expansion of Medicaid. And wherever there is a challenge, he is there to serve the people. Whether it is standing up for voting rights, or fighting back against mass incarceration, where there is evil afoot 
And when there is wrong being done, he is there to make it right. Yeah, Democrats are using this as a way to frame this not just as an issue of health care, but as an issue of who cares about voters and who doesn't. I mean, we hear Stacey Abrams there using terms like evil when there's evil afoot, when there's wrong being done. And she, in every event, every time she's speaking about this campaign, when she's talking about Brian Kemp, she's trying to reframe him as an extremist, as somebody who is cruel is a word that we hear sometimes somebody who doesn't care about Georgians and somebody who obviously should not get the votes of Georgians in her description. And this hospital closure is another example that she's putting on that pile to say he had the chance to do this. He had the chance to make it right. And he chose not to. Yeah. And those comments were significant for another reason. So if you listen to our podcast, we like to uh, tape our podcasts on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons. And our last podcast was taped Tuesday afternoon, shortly after uh, a stop in Noonan, where Senator Warnock was asked twice whether he would campaign with Stacey Abrams. And both times he gave kind of non-answers. He didn't say whether he would or not. I think at the time we said, we fully expect the two to campaign together, but right now they're not. Well, later on that evening, I got word that, yes, indeed, <laughs> they would be campaigning together. And in my view, is a direct result of that sort of non-answer. They wanted to put this issue aside. And so, Patricia, we were both at that Cobb County joint event. I don't know if we call it a rally, but a joint event between Stacey Abrams and Senator Warnock. Basically, it was a pre-planned event for Senator Warnock where Stacey Abrams kind of gave the intro speech in a way. She showed up. She gave a, a fiery uh, campaign stump speech and said very nice things about Senator Warnock that we just heard. Let's hear another snippet of it. If we want good to keep coming to Georgia, if we want to solve the issues of housing and inequality, if we want a governor and a senator who actually like each other and know how to work together, if we want someone who knows how to take responsibility and not just take credit, we need Senator Raphael Warnock. And Senator Warnock gave a shout out to Stacey Abrams. Let's hear it for an extraordinary and visionary leader, a trailblazer in the best sense of the word, my dear friend, and the next governor of the great state of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. So, Patricia, clearly it was Senator Warnock and Stacey Abrams trying to put to rest the scuttlebutt that we've been talking about that I think the New York Times was going to report about uh, division between them. Because, look, it was legit, right? They hadn't campaigned together at a big event. They hadn't, they hadn't necessarily tied themselves to each other's campaigns, even though we know they're personal friends and they have a long personal relationship. And so this was a moment to, for them to kind of put that talk to rest. Yeah, and you could tell that it was done specifically to put that talk to rest, um, because number one, there was no daylight between the two of them by the time they finished talking, um, calling somebody a trailblazer and uh, my dear friend and saying that Raphael Warnock does good when others do evil. I mean, there was no ambiguity in these remarks. However, um, it was also just a little unusual as far as events go. We heard that they would be campaigning together. We arrived. And one of the first speakers said, um, oh, I was so excited to wake up today and hear the news that Stacey Abrams would be here at Raphael Warnock's event. <laughs> and so Shout out there to the were no, Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, there were no Stacey Abrams signs. There was a huge Raphael Warnock bus, but Stacey Abrams, I'm not sure how she got there, but it was not in a giant Stacey Abrams bus. You know, it wasn't one of those classic joint campaign bus 
blowouts. You know, it didn't have to be, but they obviously made the calculation that they did not want that headline. They knew they were going to campaign together eventually. So why not just go ahead and get it done? They did get it done. But as soon as Stacey Abrams uh, spoke, she was she was out of there. I don't even know that she heard the beginning of Raphael Warnock's remarks. She was there for the beginning of it. She was yeah. standing in front of me, but she left about a couple minutes into it. Yeah. So there was not like, you know, when people see these uh, joint events between candidates and they're all raising their hands together and shaking their hands together and, you know, joined fists raging into the future. You know, there was none of that. It was like sort of like the Irish goodbye, the slip out the back exit. <laughs> but there was at the beginning, right? Let's be fair. Yes. There was um, right after Senator Warnock got off the bus, he kind of like was taking in, soaking in the applause from the crowd that was there to see him. And then looks to his right, Stacey Abrams is there. They both embrace. They both posed for pictures. There was a lot of media there. Yep. There was a lot more media there than you usually see because of this joint rally. So there was that. But you're right. There was no on stage. You know, uh, they were not standing side by side with each other as they were speaking. And you know, Patricia, let's give our listeners a peek behind the curtains a little bit, because here's how, at least from my view, here's how this sort of played out. Right after Senator Warnock gave those non-answers in Noonan. Now, obviously, the Senator Warnock staff was around, so they heard them. You know, I, I immediately started thinking, okay, this could definitely be a lead of tomorrow's jolt because it's significant, right? Sometimes it's just as significant as someone doesn't answer a question as when they do. And so uh, I immediately texted the transcript of those remarks or non-remarks to Stacey Abrams' camp. And there was a kind of a long pause and they said, Senator Warnock's staff will be getting to you shortly. And so it didn't take long. Um, actually, as we were taping our podcast, I was getting dinged by several members of Warnock's camp who were saying, hey, we might have some updates for you on that. So they were basically saying, don't go write that headline you were going to write about Abrams and Warnock Rift. And we definitely had you know, a different spin on it the next morning because they had arranged for this joint appearance. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. We're also two of the authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which will have some tidbits from our exclusive interview with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this morning. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics, and you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join our community 
right now, this instant, by going to subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe at AJC.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. But Patricia, before we get to our favorite segment, at least my favorite segment, the Friday mailbag, it's been a busy week. I hope you get some time off away from the campaign trail this weekend. We are heading up to the mountains for my 15th anniversary with my wife. And we're going to go, it won't be too relaxing because we're going to go not only with our kids, but with another family and their two young kids. So it'll be crazy, but we're looking forward to it. Well, that doesn't sound all that relaxing, but it does sound super fun. Um, Let's see. This weekend, I'm going to, we are also going to try and sneak up to the mountains. And I'm also going to, I know, hang out with my family, my kids, and my parents who are both avid listeners of the Politically Georgia podcast, by the way, Um, and my sister who lives here in town. So we'll we'll do like a Labor Day barbecue or something and try and really, you know, send the summer off in style. Oh, I love it. Uh, it's one of my favorite weekends, Labor Day weekend. And our kids love it. We used to go to school after Labor Day weekend. Now my kids have been in school for a month now. It's it's weird. It's been a long time. I want to interject here that Shaney B was just making fun of me about my laundry. <laughs> he wanted <laughs> to know this weekend, are you going to do lights or darks? <laughs> well, inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> that was a good one, Shaney B. Someone has got to one. wash the damn socks. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Don't you hate it when you think you're done and then you find there's still a dirty sock laying in the laundry room floor? Oh, or where is the other sock? Like, where does the other sock go? That's my problem. <laughs> You've got gold-plated problems. Exactly. Well, we'll remind you, we don't hear these questions before uh, Shaney B plays them, so it makes it more fun. You can call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, leave a question. We'll play it back without us first hearing it. Uh, that number is 770-810-5297. 770-810-5297. I also put it in the bio of our Politically Georgia Twitter handle, along with Shaney B's you know, uh, Twitter handle as well as the producer. So if you ever forget that, look up Politically GA, which is the Twitter handle. And we always try to retweet tweets about our Politically Georgia podcast. Shani, what do we got? Number one. Number one, a caller from Boston. We have all these national listeners. Alan in Boston. <laughs> and he has a question about David Perdue. Hey guys, big fan of your show up here in the Northeast. Uh question I wanted to ask was that, do you think David Perdue has any regrets about not going for that Senate seat, given how the Republicans really united around Brian Kemp? Thank you guys. Great job as always. Great. That's a great question. question. And is he really calling from Boston? Is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> We have a national footprint. I know. First it was <laughs> Hello America. <laughs> Wait, who is the who is it who is our first national caller we got? Fran. Fran from New Jersey. Fran from Jersey. Fran yes. from New Fran, Jersey. We love you. Fran started the whole trend. Well, we haven't been able to interview David Perdue. And I I've always had a good relationship with him, but I don't he he's only done one interview that I know of with our friend Ben Burnett, his podcast show. I did a whole write up on it. That question didn't come up unfortunately. But I think in his heart of hearts, yeah, he wanted to be, I think executives like to be governor more than senators because you have a lot more power as, as a governor. So certainly I didn't want to, I don't want to suggest that David Perdue wouldn't have liked being governor, but I think he really liked being a senator as well. And, you know, remember he, he spent about a month before he just ruled out a Senate bid. And there's all sorts of talk 
that he was down with Donald Trump at the golf course. And there was some reporting that came out, not from us, but from some national outlets that Donald Trump tried to dissuade David Perdue from running for Senate at that golf trip shortly after David Perdue's runoff defeat. I was told by people who had direct knowledge of that conversation that that didn't happen, but that Donald Trump was upset at David Perdue for conceding defeat to John Ossoff. So there's a sort of difference in what Donald Trump was trying to tell David Perdue to do. But people in the Purdue camp were fairly confident that if David Perdue wanted to run for Senate, he would have gotten Trump's endorsement rather than Trump pushing Herschel Walker into the race. And yeah, I think that if you gave David Perdue a truth serum, he would much rather be still in the game right now running for U.S. Senate than having been humiliated by Brian Kemp in the May primary. Yeah, I'd say maybe if there's any regret that he might have um, based on his election night performance, it might be just the way he conducted himself in that race against Brian Kemp. In order to get to the right of Brian Kemp, I mean, you need to basically build an arc and set sail and really go far to the right of Brian Kemp because he's very conservative. So uh, David Perdue ran this campaign that was very strange and not like David Perdue. It was incredibly aggressive. It was included some name calling of Brian Kemp. It uh, said that Brian Kemp sold you out. It was just, it attacked Kemp relentlessly. And it just didn't seem to be consistent with the kind of business-friendly CEO, extremely distinguished senator that he had been before. That's how he carried himself in the Senate before. I will say an ongoing mystery among some Republicans is the fact that David Perdue still has about $4 million in his Senate account, more than $4 million. Yeah. Typically, candidates who are never running again will give that money away. They will find some place to put it, park it, some other campaign, a charity. And there are lot, lots of things that they will do. And they tend to wind it down with a little bit left, you know, just to pay odds and ends. He hasn't done that yet. <laughs> so there, I've heard some Republicans be like, what is going on? Not that who knows what he'll do in the future, but that is one that is one unresolved question about David Perdue's political uh, intentions. That <laughs> <laughs> is. And he didn't spend it doing the primary either. One uh, one Republican insider, uh, well, several, but one made a pointed observation that he could easily transfer that to Governor Kemp's leadership committee without any sort of <laughs> penalties. So he has not yet done that. And we have not heard whether he will. Uh, Shaney B., what's next? Next up, uh, we've got a call from Heather in Peoplestown. Kind of a good question. I'd like to hear your answer on this, too. She has a question about fundraising. Hi. I keep getting all these breathless texts and emails about fundraising deadlines. How much do those deadlines actually matter and why? Those deadlines don't matter. Those deadlines do not. There are are four deadlines a year. They (laughs) come quarterly every three months. There is a real deadline, like at the end of October and, you know, the rest of the quarter's Those other deadlines are completely artificial and totally made up. And if you talk to any fundraisers, the strategy is, in fact, I was even reading a blog from a fundraiser because that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it it was giving advice to other fundraisers and saying, create a sense of urgency. urgency. Make people feel like time is running out. Make them act. And so those deadlines are all just a tactic to convince people to do something, to give money right then and there, and don't delay for another day. They are total, totally manufactured. 
Yeah. You'd think that candidates would like to see polls that show them 12 points up or eight points up, but that's that's not what, not only because it, it could make their supporters complacent, but it's hard to raise money off that. So they love these polls, which shows them one point behind, you know, even, even if it's a completely sketchy poll that you'll see the next day a headline. We're barely in this race. We're one point behind. Or you'll always see those We've got a mid-month deadline. Yeah. There's no or such tonight thing. at midnight. Tonight at midnight. And it'll be like Tuesday in the middle of the month. That is yeah, not August true. August 13th. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but you're right, Patricia. There are those four deadlines where, where they are required to report their financial disclosures. And that's used as part of the horse race coverage. That gives us – there's not many solid ways we in the media can tell where candidates are. Fundraising is one of them. Polls, of course, are another. Endorsements are somewhat of a measure as well. But fundraising can give us at least a glimpse of whether or not there's millions of dollars coming to back someone or just thousands. And those are the key points. But the rest of this stuff, oh, we're not going to make our our Tuesday afternoon deadline. I told my boss I was going to raise $20,000 and I'm, I'm failing. I might get fired. I've gotten those types of things too. I also get it's my dad's birthday. Don't you yeah. want to give him a sign, present? Sign the birthday card <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then end up on every other Democratic or Republican candidate's <laughs> fundraising list for the rest of eternity. Uh, Shani B, we have four great calls apparently wow. today. What's next? Oh, yeah, man, you're lighting great. up the phones. My interns, interns I mean, they're exhausted. Just busy little beavers back there. Okay, next caller. This is from Hana. Hana gave us a call from Decatur, a question about national media coverage of Georgia races. Since Georgia is now the subject of so much national reporting with being uh, uh, close races in the next election and also the uh, the uh, investigation against uh, Donald Trump happening in Fulton County, there's been so many national reporters uh, reporting on Georgia. And I'm curious for your opinion of how they're doing. Is there anything that they don't understand about Georgia that you wish they did? Are there any uh, news outlets that are doing a particularly great job of understanding what's going on here? Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a great question. And I will put the national media into two camps. There is the national media that is investing its resources here locally. They have reporters here on the ground. Axios, uh, the New York Times, the Washington Post have all now have reporters based in Atlanta. And I think their coverage is really good. It's not as much of a drumbeat, of course, as the AJC's. It won't be um, nearly as frequent or as detailed. But I think that those local correspondents do a fantastic job. Having worked for national outlets before, though, with offices or correspondents only in Washington and New York, I can tell you that coverage is very lacking often. Um, there are newsrooms, in, particularly in New York, I think that have make a lot of assumptions about the South and Southerners and are looking for stories to play into those stereotypes. And especially if they don't have somebody here, it's almost impossible to accurately report from Chelsea <laughs> in, New, <laughs> in New York. It's just not possible. <laughs> Oh man, I had a run in with it was I knew it was just a young reporter but there was a young reporter from DC who was working for a national outlet who wrote up a poll that Vernon Jones was pushing that we all knew was garbage, right? And he was trying to get us to write a poll that showed he was neck and neck with Governor Kemp and everyone else ignored it, but he wrote it up. And I had to message him. I was like, man, like there's no way they're remotely neck and neck. You know, you, you didn't do anyone in the journalism business or any readers, any sort of service. And that reporter acknowledged he kind of got duped. Um, but that happens, right? When you're not when you're A, when you're surfing for clicks, and B, when you're not down here. And I used to be one of those national parachutists, so I get it. I've seen both sides. I worked for an outlet 
national outlet that um, that had a bit, had some reporters in Georgia, but oftentimes you know were directed by New York or Washington. It would say like, "Hey, can you make it down to Savannah this you know this afternoon?" I was like, "Savannah's four and a half hours away," um, you know things like that. Um, so. I will say the national coverage is so different than four years ago when it seemed like there was wall-to-wall coverage of this race for governor in particular. And it seemed like every morning I woke up, there was like an above the, you know, the top of the webpage type story in the New York Times or another national outlet. I'm not saying that's not coming, but it certainly hasn't come yet where it's just nonstop attention on Georgia's political races. And we mentioned the last show, when we talk about Georgia to a national audience on TV or radio or whatever, I, we get questioned more about the special grand jury than the political races. That will probably start to change as November comes even closer. And we're still talking about those races, but we get a lot more questions about the special grand jury. And as the polls maybe tighten or as November nears, I think that dynamic will start to change as well. Jamie, we got a fourth one. This caller, uh, she didn't leave a name. You know what that means. I get to come up with the name. But she's a longtime listener and a big fan, so I need to give her a, a really pretty name. Super quick, before you give the name, <laughs> you gave the name Aloysius to some, to another oh, caller. Oh, yeah. And he texted me. <laughs> Aloysius he said, is back. <laughs> he, said, he said, I was one of the callers, and he had called it right. He had, he had asked, why weren't there unity rallies? And he goes, you know what? I kind of called that. He um, did. It was great. It was great. His real name, by the way? is Garrett Phillips. So thank you, Garrett, for the call. <laughs> A.K.A. Aloysius. But today's call comes from Gertrude. Hey there, this is for Patricia. It seems like Greg's family members and friends call and ask questions all the time. And you don't seem to have as many calls from your friends and family. I just wanted to know how that feels. Is that someone you know? <laughs> My twin sister. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's my twin sister. <laughs> Patricia's cracking up right oh now. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. Emmers, it hurts that nobody prank calls me, but now you have. <laughs> now you have. <laughs> well, Emmers, uh, Gertrude was actually going to be my name. If uh, I have my Stop. My, no way. Yeah, my dad's mom was Gertrude. And if I was a girl, I would have been Gertrude. So we have that connection forever, <laughs> Emmers, even though your name isn't Gertrude. Her name, her name, and her name is Emily. I just call her Emmers. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so, I can't stop laughing. I'm sorry. Keep them coming. <laughs> well, our final segment, as Patricia uh, <laughs> continues to crack up, who's up, who's down, Let's end on a high note. So we'll go down first. My down is is got to be Atlanta's healthcare system. With with the closure of Atlanta Medical Center, tears a giant hole into the fabric of our safety net system, and a lot of folks who need care won't be getting it on a, a nearly as, as a timely of basis, and it's going to increase the strain on, on other local hospitals, including Grady Memorial and, and Emory Midtown. Yes, I completely agree. Um, my who's down is Senator Lindsey Graham has tried every which way not to come down and testify to the special grand jury, but he will be testifying. A judge has ruled. So we'll see you here, Lindsey Graham. You're down for now. And our who's up, Patricia, mine has got to be party unity. I know we we knocked it a little bit in the last episode, but we do have our first appearance with Herschel Walker and Brian Kemp in the same photo, at least the same public photo. And we also have Senator Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams trying to put to rest 
all this talk that they're not on the same page with a campaign appearance. And they they later on both showed up at midnight basketball in the city of Atlanta. So they, they've done several events together just in that one day. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to um, do a very similar note. My who's up are to the campaigns of Raphael Warnock and Stacey Abrams, who just put a stake through our coverage that they were not appearing at campaign <laughs> events together <laughs> by appearing at a campaign event together and slamming the door on that. So we're going to have to come up with something else to write about. Well, so well much played. for that plot line. <laughs> yeah, well played campaigns. And, uh, you know, the Republicans get their own shout out, too, because similar, although we look forward to their joint appearance and speeches that are similarly effusive. Well, Patricia and I appreciate you spending time with us for the Politically Georgia podcast. And you can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday and Friday whenever big news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.